folks, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drozov, bringing you another episode of Variable D Pasta Ensemble Projects. Today's show is a real treat and very compelling. I hope you enjoy it. Well, as you can tell if you've been following my little shows, um, we've taken a virtually random sense of timing. So I'm just embracing it and living with it and putting up a new show whenever I come across something truly special rather than trying to keep to a, a bi-weekly schedule or something like that. Well, today's interview is indeed truly special. Uh, I'm speaking with composer, arranger, jazz pianist, and Suzuki piano instructor, uh, Sue Fredericks. She's been doing a series of tone poems driven by her love of art, her sister's art in particular, and her experience providing jazz music for art shows all over the country. Her story is truly compelling. Now, I've known Sue and her husband, Bob, a brilliant tenor sax player for over 40 years. In fact, they provided music at my own wedding. Even as old friends, our conversation brought a great deal to light that I think needs to be shared with the, the music-loving public. Before we launch into the interview, let's listen to some of her original music. Here's a track from her tone poems project called Hope. Thank you. 
Uh, well, folks, we're here uh, on Zoom, as uh, kind of uh, uh, everybody does nowadays, uh, with uh, Sue Fredericks, uh, uh, piano player, composer, uh, uh, arranger, musician extraordinaire. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, uh, we've been listening to her music. Sue, how, how nice to see you. Uh, uh, good morning. <laughs> good morning to you. Nice yeah. to see you, Nick. <laughs> that was nice and clumsy. Uh, a, little, <laughs> a little disclosure. Um, I've known uh, Sue and her husband, Bob, for uh, you know over 40 years now. Uh, but um, That's right. uh, we've been great friends and uh, professional musicians oh. working together and, and beyond. Um, uh, Sue, we just listened to a track uh, of, of a new product of yours, um, and the track is called Hope. Uh, tell us all about that. Okay. Uh, Hope is part of my Tone Poems album, uh, and the tune itself is based on a painting that my sister Diane did called Hope. Um, I draw a lot of my musical inspiration and composing, especially from visual art. And this is just a collaboration uh, that I, that kind of sprang up from, um, my sister is a very good artist and has yeah. been um, showing her work at galleries for years. And usually I get a call to play piano at the opening, wherever it is. And this one year, uh, I couldn't go to one of them. And I said, well, Diane, her name is Diane Sanborn. I said, I'm going to, I can't be at the show, but I'm going to record some music for you. And I'm going to combine it with a video of your work and just uh, take it from there. The one thing that was on my mind about always playing at these uh, art ex exhibitions was that the music that I was playing was not relating perfectly with what was on the walls in the gallery. And I've noticed a lot of galleries are bringing in musicians um, mm -hmm. right now more and more. And I, I think it's great. I think it's a beautiful venue for musicians um, to be in an art gallery. Uh, but I wanted to do something that was more connected to the artwork itself. That's so cool. I I took her her painting Hope and uh, I created the the music for that specifically. And um, on the recording, it's myself and uh, Izzy Perez on drums, oh, yeah. Hashimoto on bass, yeah. and he did it in the studio. <laughs> this was pre-COVID. So we did it in the studio together, and they had not seen the music before that day. Wow. So it was it was a great recording session. I mean, you know, consummate professionals. It's it's fun to play with. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Like that, but yeah. um, the tune itself is kind of going back and forth between major and minor because I thought that hope is a piece about kind of two colliding worlds. Yeah. Um, and so I have a major and minor section. And um, even before I stated the theme on, on the uh, tune, uh, Hosh played a great bass solo right after the introduction, which I thought was fabulous. And um, I also was, had, had been listening to a lot of Chick at the time, and I wanted to um, bring out the major and minor third. So I chose that G Phrygian dominant uh, which is an eight-note scale, but you can you can get the minor third and the major third in there all at the same time, and it kind of correlated to the two different uh, worlds that the, that was in the piece. Yeah, some of those scales that uh, Korea uses are really um, pretty amazing, and it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's a it's a sound that once you hear it, you kind of can't get it out of your mind. Yeah, Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, and we're going to listen to several other um, uh, tracks from that project. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what got you into making music uh, originally? You know, because, uh, you know, we kind of both kind of drifted apart uh, uh, in the business. 
uh, after a while. But you know, for uh, early in the like in the eighties, nineties, yeah. um, you know, we were all working uh, full time as a <laughs> jobbing musicians. Jobbers, I, yeah. I, I had a jobbing band. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke. Uh, we won't bother to explain it. But um, um, uh, how did you get into that, uh, into the business originally? Well, uh, you mean the music business per se or working with artists? Uh, uh, the music business per se. Right. Okay. Um, well, you know, I was classically trained from when I was a little kid and studied classical music all the way up through college, really. And even when I started teaching, I c continued to study because I was teaching the classical method, uh, Suzuki piano method. Oh, yeah. So my classical uh, mentor was a woman from Japan named Yasuko Joichi. And finally, when I started studying her, I connected what was going on in classical music <laughs> because... Uh -huh. um, I had, uh, I had learned a lot of um, music, uh, memorized a lot, but um, she connected the technique of playing classical music to uh, the sound that you wanted to come out of the instrument. Uh -huh. I hear a lot of people play, play classical music, but um, she really made it come alive for me. She was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. So, but as I uh, was in high school, our high school didn't have much music, so I was in choir and that was about it. But yeah, at yeah. that time, I was really seeking out some type of educational training that would develop my ear. I wanted to, I wanted to be a jazz player. I wanted to know, as soon as I heard something, what it was and be able to play it on the piano. So um, even in high school, I went over to Triton Junior College, which was in my neighborhood, and uh, I started uh, playing with the jazz band there yeah. um, to get going. And even in high school also, I went to a three-week seminar at Northwestern University. My parents let me go. I don't know how, but it was a three-week uh, music camp. And one of the classes I took was improvisation, and the teacher was Bunky Green. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't know him at all. He did not know me, but I learned a lot in his class over the three-week period. Then, as I said, I went to Triton Junior College, and he was there as an adjunct uh, helping teaching kids all instruments to play jazz. Yeah. yeah. So I met him again there and started studying with him privately and he just, he was just my mentor from top to bottom, you know, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, and then I followed him when he went to uh, Chicago State University. Really? Okay. And that's where I ended up uh, graduating from because I, I wanted to study with him, even though, as you know, I don't know, you, you probably do know that if you were a music major in the 70s, you were only being taught classical music pretty much yeah yeah, yeah. you wanted to learn jazz you had to go out and find somebody uh -huh, uh -huh. that you you know could could uh, really be immersed in their one-on-one -on -one training yeah yeah to learn the you know I, I played for bunky a few times and it was really pretty uh amazing and i thought kind of uh, almost as i recollect it sort of a, was a liberating experience. It was kind of loosey-goosey, but uh -huh. it was about um, this expressing yourself, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe um, we should explain to our listeners, because I told you uh, up front uh, when we were talking before we started recording, um, that a lot of our listeners are music students, and they don't yeah. know who Bunky Green was. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about who Bunky was. Well, originally he was uh, from Milwaukee, uh, played all over Milwaukee, and eventually came to Chicago, uh, played in Chicago for a long time. Um, it's been such a long time, I kind of forget his bio, but he went to Northwestern University. He traveled um, 
oh, I can't remember. He, he traveled with famous uh, jazz bands, you know, not big bands, small groups. Yeah, primarily an alto player, right? Alto, yes. Yeah, yeah. Alto and yeah. came to Chicago and was, was getting his doctorate at the time at Northwestern when I met him. Oh, wow. Um, but then, um, you know, was getting... He, he had played so much and had recorded. I mean, he had, if you look at his discography up, you know, many, many recordings with many, many famous uh, jazz players. Um, but at that time, he was pursuing his doctorate because he knew he wanted to be like in a jazz studies program at a, at a university. Uh-huh. So after Chicago State, he um, went to North Texas and uh, North Florida. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville, North Florida State, is it maybe, or university? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. <laughs> I mean, retired for quite a few years now, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, just a wonderful musician, a great teacher, affected thousands of people coming up. And I think he was very, uh, he was the president of the Jazz um, Teaching Association. Is it any. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Yeah. But he was president. A lot of acronyms. <laughs> a lot of acronyms. Yeah. 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 Well, this is uh, this is really fascinating. Actually, you know, as long as I've known you and Bob, uh, there are some things here that I picked up that I didn't know. So, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. well, let's listen to some more music from the uh, uh, project. Uh, the thing I had in mind to play next was something I think it's called strategies. Strategies. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about that. Okay. Um, well, as soon as I saw the artwork strategies, I thought of rhythm changes uh-huh. because it was um, blocks of. It, it was a it was a previous painting that was cut up into blocks and set on another canvas uh, in an offset grid pattern. So it looked like changes to me. It uh-huh. looked like lots of changes to uh-huh. me. <laughs> I like that. Um, so I, I composed the piece strategies on the uh, basis of the rhythm changes harmonies okay. Okay. because lots of changes. And then the other thing was the colors of it um, are analogous colors on the color wheel. So you're talking about maybe green, blue, teal, all these colors on the color wheel that are next to each other, analogous colors. And uh-huh, uh-huh. if you think about rhythm, especially in the the first eight, it's uh, basically changes that revolve around B flat, but they're very close in color to B flat. So, you know, okay. B flat G, C, F, B, you know, F, F B flat, E flat. You know, <laughs> it's, it's analogous. If you had to put chords on a color wheel they would be stacked pretty close together there cool cool well let's listen to uh strategies uh composed by sue fredericks Thank you. 
talk a little bit about your uh, personal history and about how you got into the business. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I had a jobbing band. I used to work with you and Bob and, uh, sure. and, Long and, time. and Izzy for quite a while, uh, but I got out jobbing. Um, personally, I found, um, uh, I'm going to say something that may offend some of my listeners, but I don't mean, I, I have to be honest. I found being a jobbing band leader um, really uh, a counterproductive to being a musician. Absolutely. I found I, that... I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would show up to a gig, and by the time I set up all my gear, my equipment, and I was waiting for the rest of the musicians to arrive, I couldn't wait for the gig to end because I, I had taken... Uh, abuse from everybody from the mater d to some guy at the loading dock you know Tell and, uh, about it. so i got out of jobbing uh i'm and as i recollect uh, you kind of got out of it too uh i where, did where did the uh, your music uh go from there and did you continue teaching you know I, you mentioned you were a suzuki teacher uh, yes yes uh, i continued progress? teaching for a while um, but I'll tell you, I couldn't wait to get out of jobbing either. Yeah. Uh, I just totally, I was just totally um, kind of frustrated with the whole thing. I mean, there was nothing more that I wanted growing up than to be a professional musician. Yeah, I totally hear that. I totally that's, that's all I wanted to be, and I studied, and I worked just like you did to make sure that I was proficient, and after doing it, you know, for 20-some years, mm -hmm. I just hit a wall, yeah. and it was just like, wait a minute, you know, been there, done that, there's nothing creative here for me, 
Yep, yep. And uh, at the time, my kids were very young. I, I probably went through five years at least of not even listening to music. Oh, wow. I mean, I was just, just wanted to get away from it. And then uh, after years went by, um, and, you know, I, I, I actually went back to school, uh, got an MBA, started working in nonprofit management. Okay. Um, and um, then after years went by and Bob and I retired, I just wanted to do music that I loved. I've been listening to jazz and studying jazz for a million years, but never really be able to been able to play it, you know, on a, on a, uh, foundation that I w- was correct for me, you know, was right for me. I always wanted to play acoustic piano and you know how jobbing is. It's mm-hmm. like all synth. at that time it was all synthesizers. Yeah. Yeah. Not even weighted keys. <laughs> Pre weighted keys. Yeah. And yeah. so I wanted to play my piano and uh, do some acoustic trio playing and to, to tunes that I liked, and I re- the, the tunes that I compose, besides being connected to the artwork, are vehicles for me yeah, to yeah. expand my playing, you know, so that, for instance, in Big Betty, which is coming up later, I always wanted to uh, pursue a 12-tone scale-type improvisation. Yeah, yeah. On hope, as I said, I wanted to pursue this flamenco uh, sound on the on the frigid mode. So there's a little bit of a selfish motivation for what I play too, because I want to stretch my playing in a way that I could never do jobbing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Jobbing. Yeah. yeah. As we talk, you know, it, it strikes me that you, know, you mentioned that the kind of seemed uh, that you felt a little bit um, uh, self motivated here. But I think you know when the artist, like your sister, uh, yeah. uh, produces a piece of art or a painting, uh, they're doing something that pleases them, but sharing it with us, because what pleases them can uplift us. And I, I, I feel absolutely the same way about music. You know, uh, uh, jobbing to me, I'm, you know, I don't denigrate it as a, as a career. But I was particularly uh, frustrated with it as a band leader, you know, because I. Uh, the, the band leader is like wearing a kick me sign all the time. Well, yeah, you're in the firing line oh, there. Man, the it, was, it was awful. Uh, but um, uh, it's, a, it's a viable way of making a living, but it's not necessarily expressing yourself. And when you no. express yourself, it doesn't necessarily fit the environment, you know? Right, right. And as we were coming up, uh-huh. You know, when we hit 1985, 1990, with all the infusion of electronics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it turned the whole industry upside down, too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. it was a whole nother level of, you know, <laughs> definitely like adjust, 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 yeah, yeah, <laughs> adapt. Yeah. Um, boy, let's listen to some more music. And, you know, just a quick interjection. I'm so glad that you came back and started writing and playing again because oh, thanks. Uh, this project is beautiful. It's uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And so listeners, I'm sure, will agree as they continue to progress through this little progress through this little program. Let's listen to Swimmers. Um, okay. I really like that one. I, I, well, I like them all, but uh, I, I found that one kind of touching. Can you hit, uh, hit me with some information about that one? Sure. Uh, Swimmers is a mixed media piece, uh, which um, artists use to convey the fact that they're not using just one medium like oil uh-huh. uh, on a canvas. They use all different kinds of um, paper, uh, just cold wax, you know, all different kind of things that they put together to make the painting. This was layered, uh, layered paper and it gave it a translucent quality. Um, I know I'm talking a lot about the artwork and uh, your viewers can't see it as we're talking, but if they go, if they go and look at it uh, on my videos at, uh-huh. Uh-huh. at the uh, museartmedia.com, 
they can see the the paintings along with the music, so maybe yeah. this will make more sense. <laughs> but um, it's a see-through, translucent um, painting with layered paper, and again, analogous color palette. Uh-huh. And so when I saw that, I was thinking of Maiden Voyage. Okay. That's the first thing that came oh, to my right. mind. And so watery uh, canutes, you know, watery textures. And um, and so I used uh, analogous chords to F minor, D minor, you know, things that are uh, sounds that were close together. And... Um, Oh, the solos were on there were great, I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. The guys, once again, you know, they, we were in the studio for that one, and that was the first one we, we recorded. And just some great solos, and they interpreted the music. Mm-hmm. I made a point, I, I'm, I never talked to Izzy or Hush about it, but I made a point in the studio to have monitors up in front of Izzy and Hush. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that they could see the artwork. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just to try to connect in the studio, you know, if we had been playing together a long time or if they, I had showed them a lot of the artwork or if they had come to the galleries, you know, it'd be different, but this was a one one time uh, opportunity. So I had to have that visual there for them yeah. to see. So it, it, that's an interesting concept and a, and a really amazing result. So, folks, let's listen to Swimmers by Sue Fredericks.
you know, the music business is a is a beautiful thing, and I hope our listeners who are considering going into music professionally, you know, perhaps in college or something, uh, you know, follow the dream. I would, you know, my own children, uh, well, my son is a professional piano player. Yeah, college, yeah, sure, yeah. a great one too. Oh, well, he he's playing great, and he's keep he's, yeah, he's real busy. Um, uh, and so I encourage, and when he decided to, this is what he wanted to do, I encouraged it and, and did everything <laughs> uh, to, uh, to nurture it and, and then ostensibly get the hell out of his way. <laughs> uh, parents can be kind of um, uh, uh, controlling uh, up to a point, so I have to learn to let go. But um, that's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> that's tough. But um, the um, uh, the the point is, I want people to 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 pursue this. But there are challenges in the music business. Um, oh my God! Yeah. And um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, being a pop rock star doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Um, right. And um, and if you want to be a jazz musician. <laughs> There's a joke around town. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, let's go out and make some jazz cash, which is you know, <laughs> like, like thirty or forty bucks on a Friday night at some bar in Berwyn. Uh, you know, right, uh, right. Uh, uh, but you get to play uh, meaningful music. Uh, yes. Um, yes. But the the one of the issues that has bothered me about I play a lot of big bands is yes. uh, is uh, diversity. Uh, I feel like uh, diversity uh, has kind of uh, gone the wrong way, at least for big bands. Um, you know, uh, talking about gender diversity, uh, racial diversity, or chronological diversity. Uh, how have you seen that? Because as a woman composing jazz, playing jazz, and leading your own trio. Um, yeah. Uh, certainly, you must have some thoughts and some uh, comments and from your experience about that. Have Have you noticed that from your point of view? Well, um, from my perspective, um, I'm playing jazz that I compose mm -hmm. that I relate. Uh, in my, in my surroundings, yes, I have a, a foundation of jobbing and, and playing in a million different circumstances. Uh -huh. But that's not all that I've done. It, I haven't been in a music bubble. Mm -hmm. And because life, you know, is always throwing challenges at you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to do other things. And so... I'm one of the lucky ones that have gotten to a point in my life where I've retired and now I can play what I want to play with the people that I want to play it with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So first off, um, I was watching a masterclass, uh, you know, masterclass.com. They have the teachers online and Herbie Hancock has one on there. Oh boy. And towards the end of the master class, he says um, something about, oh, and this is his advice for young people. Always remember that doing something else is not going to take away from your music. You know, sometimes we come up thinking, oh my gosh, if I'm not teaching music, playing music, selling a trombone, uh, fixing a horn, um, if I'm not doing something related to music, then I've, I'm on the wrong path. And he said, this is me paraphrasing, of course. Sure, sure. But, um, he said, no. He said, those experiences that you do to help yourself in life to remain happy, successful, you know, thriving, those experiences, whether they're musical or non-musical, are adding to your music because when you play, you are really playing your life. Uh -huh. If you have no life outside of music and you haven't connected uh, with people, you don't have anything to say on your horn when you pick that's, it up. That's fascinating. Yeah. 
And, and you know, this was his advice to young people. Don't, don't put music on such a high pedestal that, um, you know, you have to live in an attic and starve for your art, so to speak. Yeah. Live your life, be happy, play as much music as you can in any, any setting that you love. But you still have to live in the world. You have to live with your family. You have to thrive and be happy. Sure, sure. And that comes through in the music that you ultimately create. Okay. Whether it's sadness, happiness, happy times. You know how life is. You don't know what's going to get thrown at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he looked at it as a positive. <laughs> yeah, he looked at it as a positive. Um, and not to get bogged down with this, oh, it has to be directly related to music. No, you have to live. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think both of us, if you look back at our careers at different points, we took different routes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I was teaching, you were teaching. Yep. Yeah. You know, I was doing uh, nonprofit stuff. You know, it's just what works in your life at the time, and it all influences your music. Yep, yep, yeah. That's, boy, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, interesting coming from Herbie Hancock and uh, uh, really uh, <laughs> takes on some meaning was distilled through your experience, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, as, as far, you know, if you want me to talk about women, I have some stories. <laughs> oh, oh, let's hear them. This is a, I, 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 um, I really feel like, uh, the, again, diversity is something that has to be addressed in music. Uh, I, a lot of the big bands I play, not all of them, but a lot of yeah. the big bands I play in, uh, basically now there are a lot of uh, uh, late middle-aged, early senior citizen white guys. Yeah, you know, right. There might, right. Be, there might be one one woman and then a woman in the band. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, my, I used to see more African American musicians in the bands I play, and I'm not running into that as much as I used to. As so much I, as you used to. That, that's make that's make me uncomfortable. So hearing uh, uh, issues of diversity uh, from somebody who has something to say about it is important. So. <laughs> I'm babbling. Tell us your story. <laughs> well, remember, you know, I'm I'm coming out of college in the late 70s, starting to job and playing in rock bands and supper clubs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't figure out at the time, but all the problems I was having with being a woman had to do with clothes. <laughs> That sounds crazy, doesn't it? No, no, it does not. Anyway, you know, one of my first gigs was with a rock band, right? And uh, all male musicians, of course, except for myself, which was usually the case. And they were all getting fitted for these men's suits before we opened uh, at a club somewhere. And I, I had to go into the fitting room and get fitted for a men's suit a man's suit a black suit which had a tuck shirt underneath remember all the ruffles they used oh, to have on the tuck God, yeah. so you know i'm thinking like oh my goodness you know this is not flattering at all but i guess i have to wear this so you know after three or four months of being in the band i went out and bought a woman's black suit with a, a shirt that went with it you know and i was okay with that yeah, that, was, yeah. that was one example of clothes. Uh, yeah. Another funny one was um, me and a, a female singer went down to the Gaslight Club. Remember how the Gaslight oh, Club yeah, used to right. have music like every night? Oh, yeah. yeah. All different bands. All the, you know, okay. What was that? The so Palmer we go, we, was, that, was that at the Palmer House or, or where was that? I think they may have had one at the Palmer House. And okay. there was one at O'Hare for a while. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Anyway, we went down there, and um, the the owner said to us, "Yeah, I, I'd like you to I'd like you to work here." So we're we're talking. Okay, great. So he comes out of the back room with a contract or something. He says, "Well, I do have to tell you though, in order to work here, you both have to wear the Gaslight Girl outfit." Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
Oh, I remember those. Oh, uh, well, I mean, it was just like the Playboy Bunny outfit, really. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I just looked at him. <laughs> I just, I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I said, do you want us to serve drinks and, and <laughs> or, or what? You know? Oh, you shouldn't have said that. He probably wouldn't take you up on it. He would, yeah. Oh. God. So I mean, stuff like that happened. Um, but on the on the whole, um, I love playing. Uh, you know, like in your band or the other bands, all the guys tr treated me great and just yeah. you know respectful and fun, and um, we enjoyed each other's playing. So there was there was a few crazy things like that that happened, but. Yeah. Um, now, there was one leader who told me, um, he said, well, I'm talking to a client, but he doesn't want to give me the gig until I, uh, I agree that there will be no women on the band. Oh, okay. And he said the reason was because uh, this man did not want a woman on the band to distract from his, oh. his bride, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, having a woman on the band would distract from the attention that she might get that day. And the leader said to me, you know what I told him? I told him you were a regular on the band and I wasn't going to play the gig unless you were on it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, thank you. You know, that's that's really nice of you. And uh, you, you know who that leader was? Uh, no. Oh. You. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Shit. You believe that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Okay. Uh, I'm yeah. Up. <laughs> well, uh, that's a <laughs> that's a nice that's a story. story man. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, and, yeah. And that's you know, that's kind of the way I, I feel. Hey, let me share a story. Um, uh, about you. This oh, is, no. Oh, no. It's a, it's, it's a good one because it, okay. it's, one, it's one that probably would have gotten me in trouble in the gig, except I, I, I was just, I thought it was hilarious. I remember playing some gig uh, out yeah. in the western suburbs or something, and um, uh, you had this A-frame that you mounted your DX7 synthesizer on. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and uh, we were playing, and some drunken jerk uh, decided that he was getting too warm, so he took off his jacket and he hung it on your apron. <laughs> and I'm looking at like, oh no, he did not just do that. <laughs> he picked, he picked the wrong, uh, the wrong uh, female musician to pick on, and so yeah. you gave him a look that I thought. If that didn't burn, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And you took, you put your hand up and just flicked the jacket on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm trying to cover my mouth so the guy didn't see me laughing. Yeah. I, I thought, you know. Yeah, he deserved it. Yeah. I don't know when he came over and picked up a jacket. But, yeah, I just thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, boy. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the last things I'd like to talk about, because we're coming up on the end of the time that I, I like to spend on this, um, is uh, you've actually kind of tacitly given some advice to the young musicians in, in telling your story. Uh, but uh, specifically, how would you advise anybody who is a young musician uh, in college, either high school, uh, considering getting into music, what would you advise them to do about uh, launching their career or about how to get into the business? Um, well, I think that um, they, they are in a much better position as far as developing a network than we were nope. because they're in these jazz studies programs for the most part or the people that aren't in college you know they can go to the clubs and meet with the kids that are playing jazz in in the city yeah yeah um so i think they have a kind of a built-in network 
that, you know, we were studying music in college, but we didn't have a whole network of jazz musicians around us. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, so in that, in that regard, um, I think they're, they're doing well, but the business itself has created so many more challenges. We used to be able, at the beginning of my career, I was able to make a full-time living playing. Yeah, yeah. And that's just no more as, as far as live gigging, you know, and that yeah, type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that a lot of the schools and a lot of the students are doing, um, you know, the filmmaking music uh-huh, uh-huh. and connecting with that. So producing music as a background for films okay. and TV shows. And that's something that's exploding right okay. now with all the streaming stuff on TV you know, there's just more movies and TV shows than we've ever seen before. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they're teaching more of that in the colleges, uh-huh. how to produce music uh, as part of that medium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I even hear a lot of the new music um, sounding like film scores to me. To yeah. be honest. <laughs> Uh, you can take that in a good or a bad way, but uh, <laughs> I think they're creating that genre because that is an income stream. Okay. Okay. You know, so they're learning how to do it well. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there are some producers that want um, original music composed for their TV show or their movie, but other people just want oldies but goodies. And then, those people, you know, they just have to connect with someone that owns the copyright to that. Right, right. Yeah. And they grab it and they put it in their film. And that's kind of, uh, for me, a drag. Yeah, yeah, music. <laughs> you know, I want to hear great. something composed that goes with that film scene. Yeah, as opposed to being a just a music supervisor. Um, exactly, exactly. So that, you know, that's one way. Um, for women especially and people that are having trouble getting into a network. I think they have to really embrace being a leader of their own project. Okay. okay. Whatever it is, if you're composing at home, if you're, you know, everybody's recording at home now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so between that collaborating with other musicians who are recording at home, putting together projects, but lead the project yourself so that you can create that network of people. I mean, you call in favors from your friends or you pay for the music or however you want to do it. You know, if you're 20, maybe you have friends that you can collaborate with, but create the project in your own mind, in your own vision and go for it. Don't wait around for the phone to ring if you're a woman. Yeah. I mean, I just read an article on NPR. They've been studying for since 2007. Mm-hmm. They've done a critics poll every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are studying women who have led or co-led projects that are in the top 50 ranked jazz albums of the year. Uh-huh. And the average is about 20%. Wow, Okay. So, you know, if you're sitting around waiting for someone to call you for a project, you just might have to be the one that makes the call. Yeah, okay. Well, great advice. Hey, let's listen to the, one more track. Um, okay. This is called Big Betty. Uh, tell yes. me all about that. And this is a, a different project from the one you've been working on? Or, or tell us. Yes, it's not part of the Tone Poems album. Okay. Um, which is on museartmedia.com. Uh-huh. You can you can get all my stuff on museartmedia.com. So, okay. um, but this is a, a different artist. This is a Brooklyn, New York artist named Carol D'Inverno, and she created this uh, a wonderful piece um, called Big Betty, and it relates back to Massillon, Ohio, and the lighting of the steel mill in 1926. Okay. When she does a, an exhibition, she researches the geography, the history of whatever town she's going to. Uh-huh. So this is part of the history of that show in Mazelon, Ohio. And um, 
It was Mark Walker, Ben Dillinger, uh, Bob did the engineering on it, Carol D'Inverno was the artist, and myself. Um, and this was in the middle of COVID. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? <laughs> so, <laughs> like we all were. <laughs> yeah, and I happened to be friends with Mark um, on Instagram, I think, and I noticed that he put something out that said, I'm doing remote recording, you know, give me a call or DM, uh, and, uh, you know, I can do projects with you. Yeah. So that was my impetus to put it together remotely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Came off great. This was a, a vehicle where I was exploring my 12-tone playing. And another thing that I learned years and years ago, but I never was able to develop on a tune. Uh-huh. So um, because the graphics in the artwork, this artist, the whole thing is covered with icons of a steel mill. So you'll see gears and doors and everything you would think of that's in a steel mill. Uh And so I kept the musical motifs very small. Uh And I talked to Mark about having an industrial sound out of the drums. (laughs) And it was so cool because he uh, redid his set and he had a bunch of toms, lower, lower pitch toms. And the sound that came out uh, was exactly, to me, representative of that steel mill uh, lighting. And then I was very lucky to find Ben Dillinger, too, who I wanted an acoustic bass player who could play uh, melodically because of the way the way the music was. I didn't want someone just doing time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and oh, my God, these guys are just so great. They... After, you know, like in one weekend, he had three cuts for me to listen to for the bass part. Wow. It was hard because for me, I had to do the whole tune alone to start. <laughs> yeah. Give them, the, you know, to give them something to play off of. The reference track, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, good um, woodshedding for me. That's that's all I can say about that. <laughs> Let's listen to Big Betty, composed and arranged by Sue Fredericks.
this has been an amazing trip down memory lane. And but also just a wonderful set of experiences to share. Yes, man. Well, first of all, say hello to Bob, Bob Fredericks. And just quick aside, Bob is Sue's husband, and he is a brilliant, brilliant tennis saxophone player. And software coder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, network architecture, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he uh, he did the engineering in this last project, I gather. Yes, he did. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, before we go, uh, one more time, how do people get your music? How do they contact you about about your music? Uh, ever, uh, uh, ring the uh, cash register, so to speak. Okay, so newsartmedia.com, it's spelled M-U-S-E-A-R-T-E, media.com. It'll take you right to the band, my Bandcamp page. It's not a big website. Okay. Uh, but you can grab uh, any of the music there. You can see the videos that were created. You can see the artwork images there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then also, I believe right now, Big Betty and Swimmers... I think uh, are on Spotify, iTunes, um, Amazon Music, I believe. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to expand that a little bit as I go ahead. All right. Excellent, excellent. Well, Sue, it's been great talking with you. Um, man, thanks so much for doing this uh, little program with me. Thanks for having me, Nick, and it's always nice to connect. <laughs> I want to thank Sue Fredericks again for doing my little program today. I must apologize for getting a little choked up once you relayed that on story, but I wasn't going to edit the show. Uh, I think it was worthwhile hearing it. Um, in any case, I hope you learned a bit about jobbing history and music and how rank-and-file musicians have developed their survival skills over the years. Hopefully, if you're a newer musician, you'll get some ideas about how to adapt yourself. Well, that's it for this episode of Variable Thief Postulate Ensemble Projects. Until next time we meet up, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawstuff, saying, don't stop the music. Peace. Peace.